podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. My crew on the strange boat today is well used to floating craft of all kinds. Dave Lewis has owned boats, tested boats, ridden in hundreds of all types of boats, and has mostly caught fish on them, as well as plenty more from the shore, riverbanks and lakesides around the globe. Welcome aboard, mate. Hi, Keith. So how's things with you? Yeah, I'm, I'm really good. Um, I'm actually uh, just sort of pleased at how lucky I've been. As you know, I was in Mallorca last week, and um, th- I was due to come back on Sunday, but Thursday afternoon, we were having a late lunch, and we started hearing rumours um, of the impending changes to travel to Spain. Um, I immediately phoned Alison and flew home Friday, and thankfully escaped the, the two weeks quarantine. Yeah, although all you've done that time is talk to me anyway, so, you know, you'd have been fine. <laughs> <laughs> and so, Mallorca, now, most people think of Mallorca as, as um, funny hats, kiss me quick hats and the like. Um, I don't think you were, you probably weren't there for the for the local wine, were you? Um, we had a drop of wine, we had a few beers and a few other drinks as well, but I went for the fishing and what you've just said is absolutely bang on. I mean, the amount of anglers I spoke to before actually travelling to Alcudia in northern Mallorca, you know, fishing, what, what are you going to catch there? There's nothing there. Well, up until very recently, I would have been under the same opinion, but um, it's one of the best kept secrets that I can see in blue game fishing globally. I mean, what Captain Vince Riera um, is opening up there at the moment is set to change blue water fishing for those anglers looking to catch all the species of billfish forever. That's weird, isn't it? Because, you know, I've been fishing for a long time, although I've not been involved in much in the way of blue water fishing. I've never considered the Mediterranean a blue water destination. I mean, I heard the stories about the immature swordfish that, you know, when you see a swordfish steak on a fishmonger slab, it's probably come from um, off, off the tip of Italy or somewhere, and, and it was under 30 pounds when it was killed. But I didn't realise there were any other billfish there. Well, you're absolutely right. Um, I was, again, I was aware that they did catch swordfish uh, throughout the Mediterranean, and like you, I thought they were mostly small, immature fish. Um, caught as an infrequent bycatch, but yes, uh, they're there, and I, I saw a lot of images of big fish, fish weighing hundreds of pounds. Wow. And talking with um, Vince and a German journalist who does the same sort of work that I do over the years, Jürgen Oder, um, there's, a, there's you know there's a really good sword fishery there, and they're starting to ex- uh, fish at night for them. Well, they've always fished at night, but increasingly they start in the fish in the daytime and they're catching numbers but the spearfish that the spearfish is is the big big story um i first became aware of the mediterranean spearfish oh, it must have been around 93 94 the first time i went to kenya and upstairs in the malindi fishing club they've got a fine sort of selection of mounts and trophies and you know various certificates I'm on the way to the toilet. They've got this poster of Billfish of the World. And um, like most anglers, I stopped to have a look at it. And and there they were. You know, At the time, I knew they were marlin. I knew they were spearfish. And I knew they were swordfish. And, but I didn't realize there were so many different species. 
And I actually saw Mediterranean spearfish, and it sort of hit a hit a chord. I thought, you know, you know, it must be rare or nearly extinct. Um, you know, didn't really sort of put any thought into catching one. Then about ten years ago, I started uh, traveling to a place in southern France called Bouillon-sur-Mer. It's um, just to the east of Nice, right on the border with Monaco. And the guy who fished with there, Captain Patrice Gaziglia, he occasionally, he told me, two or three times a year, would catch one of these spearfish. Um, move on a couple of years, I started fishing off the mouth of the river Ebro in Spain. Same story from the, the skipper there. He hadn't actually caught a spearfish, but he'd seen them jump in, and he'd actually had them attack poppers. Really? And you don't think, you know, people look at the Ebro and think catfish, don't they? And, and I know there's those palmetto jacks you get at the, at the mouth and in the delta, but uh, I was completely unaware of billfish. No, no, I mean, the, the Ebro is, I mean, this is the crazy thing, Keith. Um, I mean, these fisheries have been incredibly popular with Dutch, German, French, and numerous other European countries for years. But to most British anglers, you mention Ebro, and they think catfish. Yeah. If you want to catch a 200-pound tuna, okay, mm-hmm. I would argue that you've got more chance of catching one from southern Spain than you have if you flew to Panama or Costa Rica or Kenya or any of the other big destinations. The, the fishing is really seriously that good. And that's, that's bluefin tuna. I mean, we've gone into another species there. Yeah. And also... Um, as you mentioned, the palometa, I mean, I know the fish is a, a leafish. Yeah. They catch those in April and May there, and they also get a tremendous run of bluefish. Now, bluefish are known as shad in South Africa, and they're known as tailor in Australia, and they're one of the great game fish that people travel to America to catch. But again, early summer, late spring, early summer, um, off the Ebro Delta and other, other destinations in, in southern Spain, you know, the, the fishing for these bluefish is really very, very good. Light tackle spinning. Um, and later in the year, um, Dorado, Mahi Mai, dolphin fish. Yeah. Incredible fishing for them. I, I know they, they, they run through um, off to the Algarve, don't they? Because late in the year, September, there's, there's every chance of a white marlin along with some absolutely massive blues. Um, and, and Dorado off the Algarve, because, you know, I'm a fairly frequent visitor to the Algarve, and I only fish on the shore and catch, you know, what I catch from the shore. Um, mostly little fish, I, I use very light tackling, fish with little fish, but I've had some bass and spotted bass and things. But the, the, you know, people keep saying to me, come out with us, you know, we're going out with, we had a blue last week of 700 pounds, and five or six to we had 10 white marlin in the spread, and we couldn't get a hit, you think, goodness me. Yeah. Well, white marlin, I mean, again, we've, we've um, moved on to another bill species, Billfish species. Um, white marlin now is my number one species. I mean, technically, practically, um, it's the easiest of the nine species of billfish you need to complete a, an IGFA royal slam. And it's the one I have left to catch. And as you say, Portugal, August, September, early October, they get them. Morocco, they get, catch them. Uh, numerous places throughout the Caribbean and off the eastern coast of the States. Mallorca, Canaries, um, I just need need to make a plan and hopefully when the world starts getting back on track, book a flight and go and catch the elusive ninth species of billfish. 
<laughs> well, I've got to say, mate, you're sounding a bit like, for those people of a certain age who remember Alan Wicker, um, you're sounding like you've got more air miles than Wicker. Um, how did this all start? Where did you start fishing for, for a kickoff? Um, okay, well, I fished all my life, and um, like so many other anglers who were sort of, you know, sort of late teens, early 20s, in the 1980s, I was inspired by John Wilson's programs and, you know, his, his, his program on Kenya in particular. And when I started working with the magazines, an opportunity um, came my way to go and fish in Kenya. And, and that was my first trip. And, well, 20, 20, 25, 26 trips there over the years. And, um, you know, obviously I've been fortunate to have fished in a lot of other places around the world. And the billfish slam, which, which which I've mentioned, I mean, it wasn't really a conscious um, effort to, to go out and catch it. But slowly over the years, uh, I worked my way through the various species. And then I found myself in a position where I only needed the, the spearfish and the white marlin to complete the, the royal slam. Spearfish was always, always going to be the hard one. I mean, most people who have completed a a royal slam, catch the spearfish purely by accident. They're fishing for marlin, other blue water pelagic species in Madeira or the Cape Verde Islands, Mauritius, Kenya, and they catch a spearfish and that's mm. it. They caught the holy grail. The only exception up until um, Mallorca, which is, is happening now, it's opening up as a destination as we speak. The only exception to the rule, if you wanted to catch a spearfish, was to fly to Hawaii and fish a few days there, and you catch a short bill spear, spearfish. Um, obviously, you know, but the cost of that is prohibited for most people. Yeah. But then going back to Captain Vince uh, Riera in, in Mallorca, uh, I was in touch with him on Facebook, and, I, you know, he, he was posting a few pictures of spearfish he was catching. And, again, Jürgen uh, Oda, the, the, the German fishing journalist, told him, you know, if you could target these fish, if you could actually specifically go out there and catch them so that if an angler came down, it was probable they were going to catch a spearfish rather than just simply possible, you're onto something big. Vince didn't realize what he had. He's fished in Mallorca all his life and um, he understands a lot of uh, the movements of the spearfish, you know, when they're there and where where they are at specific times of the year. But there was no value in them. I mean, you couldn't eat them. Um, locals didn't want them because they're, they're low value as a food fish. They wanted tuna. They wanted to catch uh, Dentex bream or John mm -hmm. Dory's or the other edible fish that are there. So early this year, um, Ben started fishing for them. And obviously, you know, he's been so restricted with the COVID uh, lockdown they had in Spain, which was complete, they couldn't they couldn't fish for months. But since May this year, he's tagged and released ten spearfish, and up until me flying home last week, the last seven trips that he's targeted a spearfish, he's caught and tagged one. Wow, and the, it, the areas he's got a couple of specific areas where he knows. And, and I said, see, yes, you've got an excellent chance. I had to wait five minutes for my strike. We, went, we, we started putting the lures out. The short left banged. I thought it was just the lure bouncing off a swell. Jumped up, sat back down as you do when you're all edgy and 
full of enthusiasm at the start of a trip, and then the tip just bubbled over, the clutch went, and there was a spearfish in the air. You know, ten minutes later, it, it's got a tag in it, and I'm photographing it. A couple of days later, we went out with a German angler who wanted to catch a first spearfish. He had to wait nine minutes. Oh, and the, the, the good thing with this fishery is that Vince now realises he's onto something very, very, very special. And he will only fish this area now with anglers who specifically want to catch a spearfish. He won't go there if he's got a, a general angling group out who just want a day's fish in, just want to go tuna fish in. He leaves this area alone. And once he's been in there and they caught a fish, that's it, away. Tag the fish, release the fish. He's not looking to get a second or a third or a fourth in one day from that area. He's he's really managing it responsibly. And um, you know, long may it continue. You know, it, it really is the holy grail of billfish, uh, a consistent spot where you can target a spearfish. That's brilliant, really, because most um, skippers of, of most kinds tend to, over-exploit things, don't they? they? They get a name for something, well, we go and catch one of those, we go and catch one of those, we go and catch one of those. But to, to, to restrict it to people that actually want to catch one, and when they've caught it, okay, lads, that's it. You know, it's something I've thought that, that, that um, bass charter boats should do more often. You know, exactly. when people want to empty the sea, and, and you know, they'll ca- catch 20 in the old days when you could, they'll catch 20, they'll keep 20. I, I know one skipper that I fish with off the south coast, who did ration the fish himself? And he used to catch his fish drifting over marks and over wrecks uh, and, and targeting them with lures. And if the anglers looked like we're going to start killing too many, um, he would miss the mark. Yep. And so, let me know, we'll go somewhere else. Let's go and catch a cod now. We'll go to, to, to um, Calais or somewhere and, and, and fish the chalk over there and maybe catch a cod or two. And, and he, was, he was very clever at that kind of thing. He, he, but if he had people out there that were very happy to catch and release the bass... I think his best day had over 300. Mm-hmm. He's probably not going to get that many these days, but uh, but there you go. But it, it's now you did all this, and, and and people will think, well, you've got stacks of money, you're writing all these magazines, um, but most of your job entailed driving around in a big red truck ringing a bell. <laughs> yeah, for well, uh, for 30 years I, I was a, a full-time operational firefighter based um, over the last 12 years in Cardiff, all of it in South Wales. Um, I retired eight years ago, but um, as you know, I mean, you know, alongside my fire service career, I, I was always working, you know, for various fishing magazines um, in the UK and quite a few countries around the world. This last uh, trip to Mallorca was actually for uh, an American magazine, Marlin magazine. Um, I put it to them that there's the possibility, of, again, you know, this be a fish, and they said, if you can do it, go and do it, and... Uh, but yeah, yeah, for, for a long time I was, I was a fireman. I, I remember a story from Marlin Magazine, in actual fact, where um, they wrote about this angler fighting a huge Marlin. And, and, you know, when they get that big, there's not really anything to measure them from, but they, they thought this fish might be, sort of, you know, don't laugh when I say this, they thought it might be 1,800 pounds. Mm-hmm. Um, because they say there's no doubt that marlin are hooked that are just too big to that. There was, one in, there was one in Hawaii that was actually landed at about that size, but it wow. wasn't conformed to IGFA regulation, so, it, was, it, so it's, um, it wasn't accepted as a record. But anyone interested can Google it, biggest marlin ever from Hawaii, and there's a fish hanging up of 1,800 pounds. And 
I'm aware the fish over two thousand pounds would have been caught commercially. Oh, well, this this guy in, in the story in Marlin magazine, this this guy hooked his marlin, and I, I think I've got the time right. You know what my memory is for numbers; it's pretty pretty good. I think he fought it for thirty three hours and twelve minutes. Right. He had it on the leader that the wire man had it sixty times. Right. And, and couldn't stop it. This is on a four hundred pound leader or six hundred pound leader. It was, I think. Sorry. And in the end, the angler said, "Look, I've had enough." He'd been food, he'd been fed and had drink given to him and water poured over him and 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 all the things you can do sitting in a fighting chair. He'd done. And uh, he said, "Look, next time you get it on the on the, the leader." Um, I think the words they used were pop it or stop it. Yes. And um, <laughs> he put a turn round a cleat and it popped. Good God. And, and they said, you know, it, it, it might have been £1,400, it might have been £1,800, we don't know, but it was an absolutely massive mine. And I can't remember where it was, but that's, you know, you think of things like that and, and you start thinking about uh, Spencer Tracy and, and Ernest Hemingway and start thinking about the lions and, and that most wonderful of books, The Old Man and the Sea, which is just... Uh, you know, it, it, it's something that anybody that's going on a re reasonably short flight can can digest in one trip. Wonderful um, book. Anybody that's ever been fishing should read that book, it, and, and, and they will. In, sometime in their life, they will be dreaming about the lions, there's no doubt about it. And, and I'm not giving anything away by that. That, that, that. Didn't need a spoiler alert for that. Um, so how, how many countries do you reckon you fished? Okay, um, I've actually qualified to join a Californian organization called the Centurion Club, which is over a hundred, um, but actually fished, I'm certainly north of 50, um, probably 60, 60, 60 plus countries. Any idea how many species you've caught? I did, I, up until a few years back, um, I was keeping, I was keeping a, keeping a record and um it was it's, it was over a hundred um salt and fresh from uk waters and it was approaching 500 from globe globe that's 500 that i could name so yeah. i mean you know when you when you go bait collecting you catch two or three different things and that's a snapper and that's a sardine of some sort and that's a little bream you know but um well over 500 species for sure You've already given away, I think, the, the game on what was the hardest to find. And although it's not... Uh, it was actually the easiest to find. I mean, you know, once, once, once I was given this lead, it was actually, you know, as a targeted species. I mean, I went to Mallorca for a week of fishing, specifically hoping, dreaming, praying to catch a spearfish in less than five minutes. I mean, so in reality, it was the easiest. It's the only time I've ever targeted one. Um because, as I've said, I mean, most places you can't actually target them. They come along when they come along. But um, as, as things turned out, it was it was one of the one of the easiest, the hardest billfish to catch so far has been an Atlantic sailfish. Um, firstly, because I haven't done that much blue water fishing in the Atlantic. Most of my blue water fishing has been in the Indian Ocean and Pacific. But um, yeah, I mean, the couple of times I went out, they, they just didn't show. And then I had a day out at Bud and Mary's and just, just, just off Alligator Lighthouse, which I know you'll be well familiar with, um, I caught a sailfish. Yeah. It was probably £20, pounds, £25, pounds small compared with, you know, the size of the fish that you routinely catch in the Indian Ocean and Pacific. But um, it was a sailfish, an Atlantic sailfish. So uh, that... I, I was 
funnily enough, that was the hardest one. I was reading actually a couple of months ago now when uh, the Keys was in lockdown because they closed the Florida Keys at, at um, Florida City and said, right, that's it. No, car town roads closed, the main roads closed, residents only uh, because of the, 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 the COVID-19 outbreak. And, and when they reopened the Keys, they, that, that county, which is Monroe County, had actually had 115 cases. Now they've reopened it, it's up to 1,100, but that's, that's a completely different story. Um, mm. One of the boats from Budden Marys went out just with, with crew on because they weren't allowed to take any anglers and had 49 sales <laughs> no. in, 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 one, in one day, um, which is, you know, I've, I've heard of those kind of red letter days before. Um, I've, I've, never been, I've never been that close to one. I was close to an 11 one day, but uh, you know, I've never been that many. And, and when they come along, they're, they're, they are very prolific. But it, it's amazing that you, should, cause the, that you find a struggle getting one because you spent a lot of time in Florida, haven't you? Huge amount of time, uh, but mostly we're fishing, you know, what they call, you know, the backcountry. Um, it was almost always focusing primarily upon tarpon. In more recent years, uh, redfish and snook at um, Everglades City and, you know, Flamingo at the southern end of the Keys. Um, very little offshore fishing in Florida. And the main reason for that is because for a long time I was fishing in Kenya at least once a year, some, some years twice a year and also numerous other destinations throughout Central um, America and places like Madagascar, Mozambique, South Africa, you know, Maldives, where they catch billfish. And I didn't really want to go um, blue water fishing in Florida. I wanted I wanted to fish for, for the tarpon. And then this, this idea of completing the Royal Slam sort of started to take a hold and... Uh, that's when I, I, you know, finally sort of got offshore and, and got the Atlantic sail. <laughs> so what would you say is the running order? We'll just revisit billfish for a minute. What would you say is the running order? I suppose spearfish are probably the smallest, are they? Without a doubt, yeah. I mean, um, the, the, the world record, in, in the IGFA world record for a spearfish, for a Mediterranean spearfish, is 90 pounds. Um, for a long bill, that was caught in Madeira. So whether or not it was uh, a, a Mediterranean spearfish or a long-billed spearfish is not, not certain. But the biggest um, spearfish on record is 127 pounds, and that was from Puerto Rico in the Canary Islands. And there's also a round-scale uh, spearfish, and that weighed 70 pounds, and that was caught from Maryland in the States. Mm. And the short bill species, which I know you've seen in Mauritius, the yes. world record for that's 110, and that was caught off Botany Bay in Sydney, Australia. So they're 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 not that big, but they're I should imagine they're very exciting because all the other billfish are. When, when when it struck, did it leave the water immediately, or did that take a few minutes? No, 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 immediately. I mean, it it, it, it was instant. It just it just um, it's it's billfish in scale down. I mean, on Vince's boat, the heaviest tackle is 30 pound class that he's using at this time of the year. He's got he's got the 80 and 130 for the big tuna season. But um, we were fishing um, Shimano TLD 25s and Tiagra 16s, which is perfect for, for these little fish. You know, you, you don't want to beat them about, and you know you could catch them on lighter tackle. But the idea is to catch one, you know, get it to the boat within a reasonable time, tag it, and release it in a healthy condition. My fish was maybe 20 pounds, maybe it was 18 pounds, maybe it was 21 pounds. 
Now, the other fish that I saw were all of a similar size. Um, but it, it, it's really not a size thing with these things. It's just a case of catching one. <laughs> yeah. And, and there's, you mentioned, I think, four different species of, of, of spearfish there. And, and, and marlin, white marlin are the same. Aren't they? There's confusion. Well, there's reported confusion about white marlin, hatchet fish, spearfish, all sort of intermingling into sort of a bit of a grey area. Yeah, I mean, um, the rounds... The round scale spearfish is the one that's often known as a hatchet marlin. And potentially, this is my understanding, these are one of the commonest spearfish that are actually caught. But the vast majority are called white marlin. Yeah. Um, they're, they're so incredibly sim similar um, yeah, to, to the point that, you know, unless you're really, really into your species, you know, it, it's going to be more or less impossible to, to, to tell the difference. Um, the, you know, the, the longbill spearfish and the Mediterranean spearfish, they're basically subspecies, and they're very, very different. You can, you can, you know, this is the, third, the second time I saw a frozen one in Kenya once. This is only the second time I've seen a spearfish, and the first time I've seen one alive, and you're not going to mistake it for anything else. No. But the, the one that they call the hatchet marlin is more correctly known as a round scale sailfish, which is very similar to a white marlin. If you like, it's the missing link between the, the marlin and the, the true spearfish. Yeah, yeah. And where does sailfish fit in there? Sailfish, um, they're, again, they're, the separate, they're an entirely separate genus. Um, if anything, I, I suppose that they're, the, the, the spearfish has got a, a dorsal full length or well, long body length dorsal similar to a sailfish but nowhere near as as high um the igfa actually classify um two species of sailfish there's the indo-pacific species and the atlantic species now i'm pretty certain that they're all one of us saying um i'm pretty sure bio, you know biologically they're exactly the same species i Got a copy of the IGFA book on my desk in front of me, so I'll just, as we're talking, have a look through, see if I can confirm that. But um, the Indo-Pacific are much bigger, aren't they? On average, I mean, it, it's it's quite easy. It's not said quite easy. It, it's not impossible to catch 120-pound sailfish in in Mauritius or Kenya, parts of the Indian Ocean. Um, but I, I don't think anyone would even go close to catching anything that size in off the coast of Florida, where sailfish are very prolific, or anywhere else in Costa... Well, depends which coast of Costa Rica, but they're just not that big, are they? No. Um, Kenya... Uh, Kenya is actually the exception when it comes to sail, uh, Indo-Pacific sailfish, because a big one in Kenya... I mean, one year I had the biggest one tagged and released in, in Kenya, this was about 97, 98, and that fish was 100 pounds. Mm. But I fished a lot in Costa Rica and... Um, Panama, and there the hundred pound is probably at the bottom end of the average size at certain right. times of the year. The <laughs> biggest one I saw, um, I actually, I actually hooked and gave. Uh, I was fishing with a, on a hosted group with a bunch of clients in the Maldives, and I hooked a fish, and I knew it was a sailfish, and I handed it the rod to you. I fight this, and um, that turned out to be the biggest sailfish I've ever seen. Um, how big was it? We don't know exactly. I would put a lot of money that it was a minimum of 180 pounds. It wow. was a monster. 
it was a monster sailfish. When it started doing its thing, if it hadn't been for the sail, I would have thought we were hooked into a small blue marlin. Yeah. It was a huge thing. But as we've been talking, I've just, um, I've just thumbed through the IGFA book and I was, I was right. Um, at the Atlantic and the Pacific, uh, sailfish are both exactly the same genus and the, the world record for the Atlantic sailfish is 142 pounds. And that came from Angola, uh, but as you say, you know, fish up to sixty, uh, a sixty, seventy pound sailfish in Florida is a huge sailfish, mm-hmm. and the Pacific sailfish record is two hundred twenty-one pounds, and that came from Ecuador. That is a huge thing. Big, big fish, big fish. But the Cost, Costa Rican and Panama are probably the the two. Um, the two sort of ultimate destinations at the moment for British anglers looking for a for a sailfish. Um, Kenya too, yes. The, you know, the the fishing there is incredible. It's probably better than it than it's ever been. But um, for well well documented reasons, you know, Kenya is not a destination that um, a lot of people would be comfortable travelling to, which is a shame because once you're there, it's um, as, as you know, it's one of the yeah. it's one of the most beautiful, friendly places on the planet. Just a fantastic country. I was only there once and it, it, it was just, uh, it was an awe-inspiring country in the way that people are and everything. Now, we've spoken about mostly about fish with long pointy noses um, and we'll, we'll, we'll travel abroad again in a minute. But, but what about fishing closer to home? I know just recently you've been fishing um for sea trout in your local river, mm-hmm. I saw you with some grayling from a river not too not a million miles from me on the on the river Kennet and some some big dace as well. Mm-hmm. What what do you do a lot of sea fishing here too? I do a lot of sea fishing. Um, if I'm honest, a lot of my uh, sea fishing in the UK in recent years is is very much work related. Um, I've been contributing editor for Sea Angler magazine since 1993 and. Um, every issue I have a certain amount of pages to fill and you know most of the time I go on a charter boat these days I don't take tackle because when the fishing's good um, I'm busy with the camera when the fishing's not good what's the point of fishing you know it's um, (laughs) for years I tried to juggle the two and it became increasingly frustrating so these days a lot of the time, even though I'm going shore fishing, I'm going boat fishing, I don't actively fish myself. A couple of times a year, I'll um, go up with a bunch of friends and, you know, we'll, we'll have a day's bass fishing, a day's surf fishing on one of the beaches in Gower, you know, um, a few other places. But um, I, I've always loved my, my game fishing and I'm lucky living in Wales. We've got access to some wonderful rivers with, you know, wild fish and salmon trout, sea trout. Uh, I enjoy that, and I've always enjoyed trotting a trotting a stick float on a river for the dace, chub, roach, and um, I'm like you, Keith. I mean, I, I classify myself as a bit of an all-rounder, and I enjoy I enjoy everything. You know, I enjoy all sorts of fishing. Are you the same as me? When you go over a bridge, you first of all check there's water underneath it, mm-hmm. and then think which species of fish is going to be in which spot in that particular river. Always stop when crossing a bridge. Can't, cannot do it in one. Got to stop and lean over and have a look, see what's lurking down there. And 
There's a little tiny tributary of Thames near me called the Beverly Brook, and uh, I, I've walked over a bit of it recently for an entirely different purpose. Uh, but I've, stu I've stood on this bridge for probably 10 or 15 minutes to see if I can see a fish in it. I know there are fish in it, but I don't know if in their, this particular spot. And I'm thinking, well, hang on a minute. If there's dace, they should be there. If there's chub, they should be there. And I know there's barbel, but I don't know if they're in this stretch. And they should be there. It's only inches deep, and you can see the bottom everywhere. I've, I've yet to see a fish, not even a stickleback. In that scenario, if you sort of stand there and you can't see fish, if you, you know, if you're patient and you put in little tiny bits of bread on a little and off, often basis, quite often you'll start seeing a bit of movement and the fish will materialise out of thin air and there they are all the time. They follow it upstream, don't they, as well. They'll get as close to the source yeah. of it as they possibly can, which is, a, which is a great help when you're fishing a river because eventually you don't have to trot down quite so far. <laughs> um, what's, what do you think is your favourite place to fish? And, and I know that, that you've got, it, it's not only fishing related. I know you're quite keen on coffee. Yeah. Um, I know you rum. don't mind a drop of rum. <laughs> I've, I've got a bottle of rum in my cupboard downstairs that I've not opened. Uh, and, and I was given it in 98, I think, in it's Grenada. Off. You, need, you need to send it to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, it came from, as, as you know, shoot, well, you, I'm sure you'll confirm that most sugar refineries around the world are excuse for rum factories. Exactly. Uh, and, and, and this was no exception. I, I was working for Tight Lines out in Grenada. And um, one day we went out with this, this two brothers that, that owned the distillery. And they presented me with this bottle of rum. We caught five big mahi as well, five big Dorado that day. And when the locals came down to the dock where we cleaned them, all they wanted was the caviar. Right. They, they, they just wanted the row. That's what they liked. We, we ate the fish. Um, but the, the, they said to me, oh, there's a bottle of rum for you. And it's still in the cupboard downstairs. And it's got a wax seal and a hand-numbered label. Um, so I assume it's going to be pretty good. And one day I might even open it. I don't know. But... Um, it, it, it looks good in the cupboard. It's a really nice shaped bottle and everything, but uh, it, it's, it's nice to have. It would, probably wouldn't have lasted quite so long in Cambrian, would it? No, no, I'd have given it a, two days, three days, a good, <laughs> a good weekend. <laughs> <laughs> what, what's your favourite rum? I like Florida Canyon. Uh, the five year, um, the, 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 the seven year is very good, and you know, but I, as a good drinking rum, Florida Canyon, which is Nicaraguan. And it's the house rum for a lodge we fish in Nicaragua called the Rio Indio Lodge. And um, that lodge is sponsored by Florida Canio. And the first time we went there, uh, we actually drank. Uh, I went there with a, with, a, with a group of eight, eight British anglers. And we actually drank the, drank the lodge dry of rum, which had never been never been done before. And it's actually sponsored, as I said, by Florida Canio. And... It, there's, there's an open bar there, but um, that that stuff is beautiful. As a high quality sipping rum, um, I really like Kazapa, which is a Guatemalan rum. That stuff's beautiful. It comes in a, a lot of people would have seen the bottles. It's got like an old Matthias Rosé sort of, not Matthias Rosé, like a wicker wrapper oh, in yeah. the bottle. Yeah, like That's the bottle. Um, Cast, um, Castellana, which is a Costa Rican rum, is very good. And one barrel, which is a, a Belizean rum. That's that's another real classic. If we just go back to Nicaragua, because I saw you, you posted a picture on Facebook the other day of coffee being brewed there. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Through it's, a sack. Yes. Yeah. It, it looks like it's being poured through a sock. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's, it's the finest coffee I, I've ever drunk anywhere in the world. I mean, you know, for me, the first half of the day on a fishing trip is about 
is about drinking coffee, and the, the sort of latter part is about drinking drinking rum. <laughs> and that's symbiotic, of course, because the coffee negates the effects of the rum the previous day. Exactly. And you need your vitamin C, and caffeine is C, so it must be good for you. <laughs> but the, the, the stuff in Nicaragua, good God, it's... Um, it's like a it's like a super refined espresso and uh, it's beautiful it's so flavorsome and the smell you know i mean back home you know there's nothing like the smell of bacon to get people drifting towards a, a kitchen in the morning but this stuff i mean you wake up you've got the howler monkeys and the birds you know the morning chorus and then you you know you walk out your cabin and you've got this um elevated wooden walkway that takes you through the jungle but all the time you can smell this coffee and then you you walk into the restaurant sort of recreation area where breakfast is served and this stuff hits you and it's just it just makes you smile you know it's mm. it's beautiful stuff i don't mind a drop of coffee and i don't mind it strong either you, you mentioned about drinking a place dry for the first time i can only assume there'd been no south african parties there i don't think so no but um yeah they certainly would have given us a run for our money <laughs> I've been to a couple of places where there's been groups of South Africans and, and they do enjoy their apres fish, don't they? I remember once I was with a very famous um, South African, I was with Alan Lamb, and um, to drop a name, uh, and Barry Hearn on Bombom Island. And I don't know if you've ever been to Bombom Island, they call Not it the yet, sailfish. No. Well, they call it the sailfish capital of the world. We didn't see a sailfish and, and we were told after two and a half days, which was about all the time we had there, that we shouldn't have been fishing for sailfish that time of year, we should have been fishing for black marlin. So we said to the catcher, well, put some black marlin lures out. Within 10 minutes, we missed a strike, and that was the only one we had. But, but it, it was, I mean, I, I could do a whole um, strange boat just talking about that trip uh, to Bombom Island because it was, it was fascinating, fantastic, and horrendous, absolutely horrendous in equal measure. Um, but, 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 yeah, maybe, maybe another day, the landing in Gabon and, and oh, but, it, it's, it's making me shudder thinking about it. So, um, what, what's your favourite place? And I, I know I know you just mentioned um, Belizean rum, and I don't know whether Belize is your favourite place, but you seem like you have some very, very enjoyable times there. I love Belize. Um, it's, it, the question you just asked, what's my favourite place? Um, oh, it, 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 it's more or less impossible to ask, to answer. For many, many, many years it was Kenya, and I, I, I'm still passionate about the place, and I really hope to get back. But for well-documented reasons, it's it's difficult at the moment. Um, I love Costa Rica, Panama, um, but if it came down to a one week, six days fishing, seven days fishing anywhere in the world as a final one-off, this is it trip. It would be a very, very tough decision whether it would be Florida, Isla Morada, April, May, or Belize, pretty much the same time of the year. I, in recent years, I've really got into my saltwater fly fishing. Um, I love wading the flats and, you know, spotting fish and stalking fish and casting fish. I love bonefish. I love permit, tarp and snook. And both of those destinations have them in abundance. If really pushed, I would say Belize would probably be the the deciding factor, primarily because it's so remote. Um, Florida's Florida. You've got the air-conditioned restaurants. You've got the wonderful tackle shops. You've got the whole package for a holiday. Um, but you're on the boat at 
7.30 in the morning. You are stepping off that boat at 3.30 in the afternoon. Please, you get on the boat at 7 o'clock and, you know, some, some days you're saying, come on, George, we've had enough, let's go back. Uh, yeah, man, one, <laughs> one more flat, one more flat, just cast here. And, you know, it's just the, the whole vibe of the place and the laid-back atmosphere. And, um, again, you've got, you know, wonderful jungle rivers to fish for tarpon and I enjoy the wildlife. And Belize, Belize is my final answer. There you go. That's good. Then you, 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 you've won with that answer. Yeah, you, you can go back there. Um, what do you think is the hardest fighting species of fish you've encountered? And I know it's difficult size for size because, you know, you even bait fish like blue runners. If, if we had those in this country, there'd be people running game fishing trips to catch two pound blue runners because mm-hmm. they definitely hang on. Um, what, what do you think is the hardest fighting fish? The most difficult to get to the boat. Let's put it that way. Pound for pound permit. Mm. If they got if, if permit weighed a hundred pounds, I shuddered to think what the fight would be like. Um, tarpon, if you'd ever see uh, it, yeah, if you'd ever see it, I mean, tarpon obviously are incredible. Um, there are so many fish that you know, bluefin tuna, yellowfin tuna, marlin, of course. But I think um, from a, from a light tackle sport fishing perspective, permit without a doubt. From a heavy tackle sport fishing perspective blue marlin yeah the, 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 I, I can't argue with you um on the permit score because they are just unbelievable fish and and one of the greatest things about them is you can catch them in relatively deep water over wrecks and over the reef you can catch them in really skinny water water where their dorsal fins are sticking out and their tails that beautiful sickle tail it sticks the out time. the water while they're feeding. What a sight that is. When you go out in the early morning, or preferably, mm. I think, I prefer late evening. You go out late evening, and, and you get that evening calm that you get in so many places when the heat of the sea equals the, sea, the, the heat of the land, and you, you've got no breeze and no ripple. And you can just see from 300 yards away, you can see a cleft in the water. And, and they work their way towards you, and it's just that, almost lilac coloured it look doesn't it as it goes through the sea just that lilac coloured tail and you'd be shaking so much to concentrate on what colour it is it's just as you say it's one of the most incredible sights in you know inshore fishing is you know tailing permit I mean they you know I don't know how many it doesn't matter how many times you see it you just you just go to pieces I've got goosebumps now thinking about it and and I'll I'll tell you a little story I don't know if I've ever told you this story about my the first ever permit encounter I had it didn't have a happy end so that was a spoiler but um, I was out I don't know if you've ever fished with Captain Mike Hewlett out from Marathon great big typical Florida great skipper flat smoke skipper Great, great skipper. Um, I've, I've, caught, I've caught tarpon on lures with him. I've caught fish on fly with him. But we were out on our first ever trip. It was in 1992. First time I ever went to Florida. It was for a sales meeting when I worked for Dyer. And we'd been told that if we achieved our target and beat it by 10%, we'd go somewhere good for the sales meeting. And the good finished up at Faro Blanca Marine, mm-hmm. where um, True Lies was filmed. Actually, wasn't it True Lies, I think, was filmed there? They, they blew up the they blew up, uh, night's... Knights Key Bridge. Um, anyway, we, we were there with, um, we went to Farablanca Marine. And, and one of the days I had out was with Mike Cudic. We had two days work, three days fishing. And I, I was out with Robin Morley, who is now Divers Sales and, and Correct, Captain, yeah. Deputy Managing Director in the UK. And, and we were out with Captain Mike, and I had um, a, a rod baited with a live crab, which is prime te- 
so a prime permit technique for noddies and I was 92 I think I'd picked up a fly rod probably twice and I've never fished anywhere warmer before anywhere warmer than, than, than Richmond on Thames before mm-hmm. and um and and we were sort of patrolling the flats looking for permit looking for bonefish primarily and he said well, well there's a permit there's a permit cast see if you can cast about four or five feet in front of it not too close uh, and and just just put the and I put the crab in exactly the right spot by some absolute miracle. And the permit didn't spook. It just sort of started sidling towards it. And Robin put a Rapala on top of its head. I'll do it. Because he didn't know that Mike was only speaking to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He went berserk. Well, that was, it was a big permit too. It was, you know, £20 plus. And, and that, would have been, uh, that would have been an unbelievable experience for me to get my first ever uh, flats game fish, one of the, the, the true game fish of the world, but it wasn't to be. But I've caught I've caught my share, my share since fishing out on the reef where it's much easier. I once had seven in a day on the fly, uh, but it is much easier on the reef than it is on the flats. They're, they're not quite as spooky out there. Uh, oh. but, but as you say, pound for pound, I, I, I like to fish from with sort of a four three thousand five hundred four thousand size fixed spool reel loaded with thirty pound braid, um, twenty or thirty pound leader, and a circle baited with a crab. Uh, um, 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 sight fish for them over over the reef or over wrecks and everything and a, a six pound class rod and um, boy oh boy th- th- there's only one other fish I've seen that makes the reel behave like that and that's an African pompano yeah um, and, and then the same family members of the Jack family and oh they are genuine nasty custards and of course all related to giant trevally and, and, and I, I know you've got is it Destination Angler 1 that's got Trevally on the front? Um, yeah, uh, Destination Angler 1 has got a giant Trevally on the front. Destination Angler 2 has a yellow spot Trevally on the front. Yeah, fantastic fish. And, and we, we haven't even got to mention the Trevally. We haven't got to mention your books. And are they both still available? Or, or, I know you only printed a limited number. Um, yeah, the first book sold out completely. Um, as of a couple of hours, I had about... Uh, I had about two dozen books um, of the second one available, and then I received an order from Fallows this morning. They want or Fallows Sportfish. They want they want another fourteen. They've had some and they've sold out. So I'm down to less less than a dozen left, I think, of the first three hundred and fifty, and that'll be it. If anybody wants one, you'll find they'll find Dave on Facebook, and you can order one, or or, or yeah, find some way to contact me on Facebook, and, I, and I'll certainly put you in touch. But they're remarkable, wonderful words. But probably even if you couldn't read, you would get an awful lot out of the books just in the pictures. Mate, you are a fantastic photographer. Well, you know, I'm fortunate. I you know travel to so many incredibly beautiful places that. Um you know, take, taking pictures is so easy. I mean, how can, you know, and, and some of the subjects, you know, the fish, they're, they're just fantastic. And uh, um, I enjoy my photography. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's an interest that's sort of developed alongside the, the magazine work, firstly as a necessity and secondly as a, as a, as a pleasure. You know, I do enjoy working with a camera. Well, the, the pictures certainly show it. And, and again, I've, I've got a, a Trevally story, a, a GT, giant Trevally story. I caught my first one in Kenya, which was really, I didn't catch it classic Trevally way. I caught it um, trolling with a dead blue runner, a, a dead rainbow runner. Um, but it was 64 and a half pounds. And, and um, I, 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 hooked, I hooked it on, on, I think I was on 
might have been on 50 pound gear and the thing is with hemp, people think oh it's too heavy but the heavier you pull the harder these fish fight you know i don't really fancy catching 150 pound tarpon on 50 pound class gear but it's no. quite good fun on 20 pound class gear because you can't pull sides so they don't pull quite so hard back it just takes a bit longer but i hooked this trevally and, and and i looked over the side of the boat and i could see it. it was a long way down but i could see it was swimming along with two or three of its mates so um the the, the mate on the boat said to me uh would you would you like the um the, the the harness sir and I had a butt pad on obviously he said do you want those I said no nah, no I'll be alright and, and I wound <laughs> I wound down until the rod was sort of almost on the gunnel and leant back and heaved with all my strength which isn't very much but it had a significant amount of weight behind it too and and I pulled as hard as I could and nothing happened <laughs> that's true and, and I thought well, I'm going to do this again now so I, I, I leant over the side of the boat and wound down further and pulled again and it's just swimming along it's got those big pectoral fins out it's just swimming along enjoying itself and I said to the I said I think I'll just try that hardest now <laughs> and, and he put it on and, and eventually I beat it but but I was given an opportunity in Mauritius to fish for kingfish um, one of the guys who, who joined me on the boat on the Marlin World Cup um, one of the, the French mission guys said uh, you know, would you like to come and fish for kingfish with me from the beach? I said, exactly. And I thought, well, I've caught loads of kingfish, you know, king mackerel. I'll catch them mm-hmm. for fun in Florida. I've got a lovely trophy here somewhere for catching biggest, the biggest one in the entire Florida Mets tournament one year on a plug. And I've got this, this beautiful coral trophy with a, um, a, a beaten copper um, kingfish stuck on the front of it. So I said, no, you're right. So, this, you know, we've got the, the beach party tonight. I'll go... Are you sure? They, they, they come right up to the beach chasing the bait. Oh, well, that'd be interesting. No, I said, you're all right. Anyway, uh, the next day, he said, do you fancy come out trying the lure for a kingfish? I said, oh, yeah, OK, we'll do that. He said, we'll go out to the reef. And I said, you know, what about trying one on a fly? He said, yeah, you can do. So, so I set up a fly rod with the, with the ubiquitous clouds of minnow. Cast out about third or fourth cast. Spank! Drags going to fight this fish to get in it's 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 a trevally maybe five six pounds it was actually a, a, a blue spot was it blue spot yeah, blue fish, blue gorgeous looking unbelievable looking fish like almost like crossing a black bream with a dorado just the, the fantastic colors and he went ah you've got the bluefin kingfish mm-hmm. i said what he said yeah these are kingfish I said, no, it's a trevally. Oh, no, we call them kingfishing. So this, I'd actually turned down the chance to fish off his, his rocks outside his house for, for giant trevally, and the chance didn't come again because I was going home the next day. So, and, and now, of course, it's been quite heavily exploited in Mauritius, and I don't think they're quite as prolific as they used to be. Um, but, but Oman and places like that where, where they've got, especially some of the offshore island fisheries, uh-huh. that must have, 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 how many trevallies you caught? Have you caught trevallies from the beach? Um, my first ever GT was from the beach. Uh, just crazily enough, it was it was in Tanzania. I'd been fishing for tigerfish inland, and um, the, the company that arranged the trip had booked me at a place called Razkatani, which is a couple of hours south of Dar es Salaam. On the way back, and I had a spinning rod, and you know nothing more than a salmon pike weight spinning rod, and a selection of spinners and I walked down to the beach late in the afternoon and cast out the spinner and more or less hooked something and almost immediately lost it. Did over the next two or three casts with every fish just cutting me off on the reef and about the fourth or fifth cast I hooked another fish and it made the mistake of swimming into open sand and 
which gave me gave me an opportunity to run down the beach and keep it away from the from the rocks and that was a 15 pound gt which is my first gt and and crazily enough my second uh gt was one about 30 pounds which is in the book and that was in mozambique caught on the fly um, i was down there on a, on a general sort of boat and beach fishing trip and the you know the guide asked if i'd like to work and fly fish and we went out fly fishing and he said we got a chance of a gt and again it was one of those days when the fishing gods were smiling on me hooked a gt and um got it so my first gt was from the beach spinning and the second one was on fly but it's, it's funny you know because um i've i've titled i've got a little um set of notes that i made and and the note note at the top of the page is what I've known you as for quite some time, which is Lucky Lewis. Did you did you christen yourself that, or was that someone else? That, was it Clive Gammon maybe, or someone that that, that, that gave the game away? It's, it's the sort of thing that Clive Gammon would 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 um, come up with. I thought I thought it was you actually. <laughs> if, if someone had asked me who christened you Lucky Lewis, I'd, I'd have said you and or. All I can say in response is, is the the is it the famous golfer, one of the famous golfers. Harry Player. Um, I know what you're going to yeah. say. Yeah. Yeah. The more you practice, the luckier you get. The luckier you get, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, would you say GT is your favourite fish, or have you you got a favourite fish, or do you oh, like them all? Favourite fish, favourite fish, favourite fish. Um, I, I, can I can I give you, name my favourite half dozen? Yeah, go on. Roosterfish, tarpon, caught one, caught bonefish. Permit, redfish, snook. Mm. I love catching the the blue water stuff, but um, increasingly I, I like the hand I like the hands on of actually casting at a fish and you know working a lure, working a live bait, hooking a fish and you know and doing my own thing. But um, it's so difficult again. You know, down down to one species. It's going to be a tarpon or a permit. Probably a tarpon. The, the great thing is about every fish you've mentioned there, they come from wonderful places. They come from places that are warm, that you can enjoy the weather. That the only thing you need to pack a short, usually a shorts and a t-shirt. Yeah. Um, and and they're all fish of the semi-tropics. I've never caught a rooster fish because I've never been to a part of the world I don't think where they live. Um, although I've got opportunities to go to Costa Rica, I've never been there. Um, it, it's yeah, but the others and and. In fact, the other five you mentioned there, what a slam that would be, because you could actually probably do those in a day if you, if you were really lucky, Lewis, and you tried let, really let, hard. Let me, t- let, let me tell you a story that it, lucky Lewis isn't always so lucky. Went out with um, Captain Jim Beeler from Isla Marada one morning, uh, went out to the front side, ocean side in front of Hog Heaven, bonefish tailing, cast, landed the fish, 12 and a half pounds. <gasps> My boat partner with me, Andrew Leaves, had never caught a bonefish. He cast, landed the fish, 13 and a half pounds. We went to a flat that's down, it's called the, the Swash. It's on the, the backside of um, Indian Key, inland. Um, school of Permit, coming across the flat. Both of us cast, both of us hook up. I landed my permit. Unfortunately, Andrew's came off. Ten minutes later, there's a massive disturbance of, you know, confused, broken, nervous water coming across the flat. At first, we thought it was a shoal of Jack Crevel. 
both ready to fire at the live prawn in front of them. But as they got closer, the guide started shouting, no, no, these, these are redfish. And redfish that far south in the Keys, you just don't see them. And mm-hmm. there they were. There was a school of 100 plus. <laughs> now, we both cast out and both hooked up. Good sized redfish, 10, 12 pounds. And both landed them. So it's now 11 o'clock in the morning. I've had a lifetime permit, a small, a lifetime bonefish, a small permit, and a, and a you know a really good redfish. The tarpon fishing that week had been on fire. Every day we had caught three or four tarpon each, which is why we specifically said, "Look, can we do something different this morning, Jeff?" And we ended up going looking for bonefish. So we went round Channel Two, the usual spot, and along with all the other boats, lined up to, to try and catch the tarpon. Boats are either side of us are hooking up more or less continually. I'm so cocky and uh, full of myself, and I'm already saying to Jeff, "Okay, right, let's get the tarp, and then we're going to go full ball for the snook. And if I've got to pay for an afternoon evening session, that's what I'm going to do. I want all five in one day." Um, that was agreed. Um, so we're just waiting for, for my tarp and bite, and boats either side of me are not uh, hooking up and landing fish, and it's just a matter of time, and uh, it didn't happen. I didn't get the tarpon. Um, That's unbelievable, because if it's a nailed-on fish at that time of the year, it's probably them. It was the easy one. I mean, we, we, we caught plenty already, and boats were catching them either side of us, but it was one of those days when, you know, I, I had my slam, and... Um, I couldn't, I couldn't sort of get the, get the, get the tarpon. But to catch all, all five of those species in one day, I'm sure it's been done before, but um, it certainly hasn't been done many times before. Yeah. But um, that's fishing. Some days your name's on it, and some days it's not. Yeah. But so, what's the next adventure? Is, are you going to be looking for suing in your local river, or are you, you're off somewhere exotic? I'm going to the river last this afternoon with a good chance okay. of catching a suing. Really? That's we had some price. rain. We had some rain yesterday. We had a bit of a rise. Um, my my sort of ruler firm is, is a metre on, on the river gauge at Chainbridge, which is just above us. The river rose to about 0.75 of a metre, which is not quite enough. But, um, yeah, uh, that's, 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 the next, that's the next one. That's, that's this afternoon. That sea trout for anybody that's not uh, that's <laughs> not familiar with with the Welsh expression, by the way, suing is is is, is one of the local names for sea trout, which have many many names across the country, don't they? Yeah. Like across the UK, they're called all, all manner of things. They peel so, up in the northeast, yeah. 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 Peel. Mm-hmm. Peel. Yeah. Peel. Um, white trout. Mm-hmm. Slob trout. Mm-hmm. There's a couple in Ireland. Donahan, I think, is one. There's, yeah, uh, Donahan's a brown throat. It, they come in. They come out of Loch Ney. Um, yeah. they're like, a, they're like a, the same sort of thing. They're, they're a brown throat that sort of run. They migrate the, to the to the lake instead of the, the sea. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So, but when's when's the next? Have you got a big big adventure planned? Do you got somewhere warm to go next? Um, the next. Oh, I, I was supposed to be going back to Spain to, to Riamar at the mouth of the Ebro on the 16th of next month, and this morning I had an email advising me that um, EasyJet have cancelled those flights with the, the current restrictions. Mm. The next one that there, there are a couple of trips which may or may not happen. I may be going to Norway with Martin from Anglers World Holidays, but the next sort of big trip is Colombia in October followed by Nicaragua in November. Uh, you sure put your coffee on those trips? <laughs> yeah, coffee and rum. 
<laughs> and, and Norway is interesting because I, I had some great times in Norway, and that's a destination that has been around for a long time, but but is getting more and more popular now. In fact, it's probably too popular now. But the, the, again, some wonderful scenery. Um, but you don't want to just go there with shorts and a t-shirt, even in June, as I found out. Um, it, it, it can be. It can, it, it can be surprisingly warm. Oh, it can be, yeah. Yeah, especially if the, you know, the sun doesn't set. So it, it can be T-shirt weather, but as you say, I mean, you, you've got to pack for all weather and, you know, there's days up there when you'll see everything from T-shirts to you know, sort of blizzards. So. Yeah, I, I've got um, I've got a, a very nice photo of me with um, Wilhelm Skel, Skilhagen, who was, who was my guide, with a £24.13 ounce uh, coalfish uh, caught in... You can't really call it bright sunlight, but that weird northern sunlight that mm -hmm. you get when the sun's shining from the north at 2.15 a.m. Yeah. Um, we went out filming. That was a nice cold fish. Caught that on a, on a, a shad as well, a bait casting, which was, uh, which was great. Um, atmosphere, had a couple of little halibut up to about 30 pounds. A £6.9 ounce place, which was nice. That's a good fish. And a £27.9 ounce cod that took the perk that I was using as a... <clears throat> Excuse me, that I was using as a weight on my sabikis to catch little coalfish for mm -hmm. bait, so, mm -hmm. which obviously you have to kill. You're not allowed to use live. That's right. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that was interesting. Um, so, well, I wish you luck with all of those. And one thing before you go, Dave, and we, we better wrap it up um, because I'm getting real, real, real fish and sun envy here. Um, <laughs> if, if you have one tip for anybody that wanted to be a travelling angler, or someone that, that wanted to target a species that isn't going to cost a fortune, but something that they would be almost impossible or impossible to catch off the UK and that would be a life-changing angling experience for them. It's not much to ask, is it? Where would you go and what would you fish for? Bluefin tuna, Spain. Really? The, the, honestly, the fishery there is incredible. Um, there, there's, a, there's a small to medium-sized fishery of tuna between 40 and 120 pounds, which you can catch on light tackle popping gear. And there's a big fish fishery for 100 uh, whatever weight tuna, which they catch um, on live baits or chumming. And it, it, it's so easy to get to. Um, I mean, it's uh, it's one of the great fisheries that, European anglers have appreciated and made use of for years, but for some reason, British anglers have been slow on the uptake. Um, it's there, waiting for them. What's the boat cost like compared to, say, Florida, where now you're paying something like it's around about a thousand pounds a day now, even for a for a light tackle boat in in Key West, for example. A bit cheaper once you get out of the Florida Keys, but it, it's it's still it's it's a fair bit of money. What, what's the boat cost like in Europe? Um, it's not helping at the moment because the pound's so weak against the euro, yeah, euro yeah. ditto the dollar, but I would say that the boats that I fished from throughout the Mediterranean in various countries on an average would be about 80% of the cost of an American boat and obviously are not sort of duty-bound to give the size of tips that's um, expected yeah, in, yeah. In, in the States. 15 to 20 percent gratuity expected always grates on me a bit when you see that sign on the back of the it, boat. It, it's a big chunk, you know. When yeah. when when you're paying, you know, a minimum of eight hundred thousand dollars a day. I mean, for an offshore boat in in Florida, you know, it's two thousand dollars for a lot of money. Yeah. And you know, a ten percent tip is, you know, it's two hundred dollars, and it's, yeah. it's, it's. But the way I always sort of um, discuss the tips with clients on trips and say, look, you know. Don't think that you're paying a tip. 
get it in your head, you're paying the balance of your trip in cash. Yes. That's it. You're not paying a tip. You're paying the balance in cash, and that's the only way you can get get around it. But no, seriously, I mean, um, there are so many excellent places throughout the Mediterranean, um, and, and the fish are there, you know. it's. Uh, and to become as a family group, it's no hardship to leave the rest of them on the beach. Not at all. Not at all. Fantastic. We'll go I'm going on yeah, I'm just going on a powered pedalo. See you later. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds fantastic, mate. Listen, Dave, it, it's always a great pleasure talking to you. It, it's very unusual for me to do it via these means. It's normally down the phone, occasionally in a TV studio, and unfortunately all too rarely on a boat or a riverbank somewhere. Well, um, we can rectify that. Well, hopefully, mate, soon, yeah, we'll be able to do that. But it, it's been my absolute pleasure to have you on board the Strange Boat today, and uh, I will speak to you again very soon, no doubt. Thanks a lot, Keith. Please like and subscribe to the Strange Boat Podcast and I'll look forward to welcoming you aboard our next trip. Sports Social Podcast Network.